0: Welcome to the NZIA podcast. Here we talk all things international, from trade to geopolitics to diplomacy. The NZIA seeks to encourage an understanding of the importance of global affairs to the political and economic well-being of New Zealand. As in this interconnected age, what happens beyond these shores affects us all at
1: home. Kia ora and welcome to the NZIA podcast hosted by the Youth Panel. We're your hosts, Lockie Scott and Tejas Menon, and we are delighted to welcome back Marcel Sanmarti to the podcast. Marcel has previously appeared in Episode 6, where we discussed the field of astropolitics. Marcel, it's a pleasure to have you with us once again.
2: Thank you so much for having me again. It's Fantastic.
1: So, Marcel, recently you published an article for the NZIIA entitled Is a New Zealand Space Command on the horizon? And I have to say that my first question was what the hell is a space command?
2: (laughs) That's a great question. There's a bit of confusion about what a space command is in a similar way that people tend to have wrong ideas about what a space agency is. When we think about space commands, we should not be thinking about the Netflix show Space Force. (laughs) Uh, It's something rather different. Basically, we are working with satellites, right? You feel lonely and you want to connect to Tinder? (laughs) That runs through a satellite, When you say that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, uh, they're becoming a super important asset for national economies and national securities. So basically, space commands are taking care of that. It's not about spaceships, but you know, like keep those satellites under control.
1: If New Zealand doesn't have a space command currently, what do we have in its place?
2: That's an excellent question. So far, you've got areas of the military tracking satellites. New Zealand so far does not have yet. And that's the point (laughs) of my article, a space command related to the Air Force, like many other countries, such as Australia, Iran, or France. But in defense, New Zealand defense keeps an eye on the satellites and many other developments happening above us.
0: Dovetailing off that, the need for surveillance of our satellites and keeping it safe, it sort of ties into another point in your article about the great commercial use of space. Do you want to elaborate on that?
2: Yeah, going back to the services that we're using, they're so big. There's something called space weather, right? So you can have the sun sending a huge amount of radiation and that can make Technology collapse on Earth. So try to imagine one week without the internet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not even one day, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, that's the reason why. Even though those satellites providing us services, well, the GPS does not belong to New Zealand, right? Mm. It belongs to the United States. But still, we all very dependent on those services coming from those satellites. Uh, it's more and more like that because, like, satellites are becoming more and more affordable. So you've got many small satellites that are the size. Of a shoebox, they cost something like 20 grand.
1: New Zealand wow. dollars
2: and they are taking pictures of uh, climate change or how crops are developing. And you know in New Zealand that's quite an important thing because you know primary industries are one of the main cause of New Zealand economy. It's another asset in there, and it's purely commercial. You're asking a company to provide you with some data, and those companies are providing it.
1: So are we perhaps seeing a democratisation of satellite technology in the same way we're seeing a democratisation of drone technology? Is that a fair analogy to draw?
2: Yeah, that's a very fair analogy to draw. And everything links to data. There's huge thirst for data and energy. This might bring us to ecological collapse, yeah. but that's a completely different topic. But as you're saying, yes, it's drones, it's satellites, and that links us with cybersecurity and the Internet of Things. So. These new technologies are maybe not that new that might seem quite apart, but they're strictly linked to each other. And that's why, again, space defense is becoming a real thing.
1: You've mentioned the importance of satellites and data collection in our Internet access and in just the networked systems that are so prevalent today. Is there a risk of New Zealand getting left behind in the new space race?
2: Mm, That's an excellent question. That depends on how you play your cards, as (laughs) usual. Let's think of Taiwan, for example. Mm -hmm. Also, Taiwan is a very small place. It's not even recognized as a country, as we know. But still, they are producing lots of semiconductors, and that gives them leverage, political leverage. In the case of New Zealand, something similar could happen with the location of New Zealand. I do not know if you remember in the last podcast we did here, saying that there's an advantage of being not at the equator meaning that it's safer to launch satellites among other things from New Zealand and if tensions keep growing around, maybe that's going to be a political asset, you know, to have this safe place where you can launch things into space. So, you know, that's something that New Zealand could look into, but it's just uh, an idea. Absolutely.
0: You bring up a point that the link between satellites and space and cyber crime as well. I see the problems of cyber crime leading into the problems of cyberspace, problems of attribution to cyber criminals and things that will have implications to satellites. And so it really does make the case for more codification or more uh, regulation and space, and that's what space command is. Is that a good way of visualizing
2: it? Yes, that's an excellent way to do that, because space legislation, is it is a thing, but it's not very extended, and it's quite outdated. Same with the internet, right? Theoretically, we've got a worldwide web but we're going to a fragmentation of the internet space, right? We've got an internet in China. We've got an internet in North Korea. Many other countries are following those steps. Something similar can happen. And that's why that idea of outer space being something like Antarctica,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: a shared place, a sanctuary, unfortunately might not happen in the future.
0: That's a great point about Antarctica and the poles as well. And this need for cooperation and this shared sanctuary, as you said, mm-hmm but then also the politics that get involved in it and the almost inevitable militarization or securitization. And certainly in New Zealand, domestic politicians over here have expressed concerns about that in terms of space, mainly from the Greens party. How would you respond to that concern?
2: That's absolutely a concern for New Zealand. As we know, being anti-nucleates New Zealand's DNA. So, you know, it's not a small issue for New Zealand. But also, let me uh, explain something else. Other things like the Treaty of Waitangi, We talk about protecting Fenua, the body of water let's say Mm. seashores rivers but what about the sky we've got some satellites going around us that reflect uh, light and uh, that's disturbing Mm. uh, the dark skies of New Zealand so at some point that's a conversation that needs to be there and yeah that links with uh, militarization and how we're using yeah I I think we could say natural resources or you know our natural environment and when to stop
1: Tejas has just mentioned the reluctance by some political actors in New Zealand's push towards space due to the environmental effects. However, as I understand it, Marcel, there is the possibility for innovation in renewable energy. By pushing into space, Uh, could you perhaps talk a little bit more about those developments?
2: Yes, actually, it's a a team of New Zealand engineers that are trying to send energy from space to Earth. That would be especially helpful for some Pacific islands that spend large amounts of their budget Mm. acquiring diesel fuel. And as we know, because of earthquakes and tsunamis, communications, but also energy supply sometimes become quite difficult. We many times think of solar panels as... A miracle. But many times, depending on the weather situation, solar panels do not work. And that was, for example, the case during the eruption of the volcano in Tonga. Yeah. You've got those ashes covering these solar panels, and then the energy supply is cut. As you're mentioning, times of change are also times of opportunities. And I think it's great that we have these conversations too.
1: While we're still on the environmental theme, we're talking about environmental damage on Earth. But another concern of our increased turn towards space is the rise in propensity of space junk. Do we risk as our Earth turns more outwards, almost trapping ourselves with the amount of space junk that we are putting out there and potentially putting ourselves at risk too, with those fragile satellites and the thousands of pieces of metal firing about at thousands of miles an hour?
2: That's an excellent question. And yes, (laughs) there's a huge (laughs) risk in there. But again, there's also a potential opportunities. Uh, For example, like when we think about businesses related to space, we do not think that their companies are already thinking how to collect all of that debris. The other risk that many other people are not aware of is space stations. For example, you're quite young. (laughs) So (laughs) maybe you don't remember that back in the year 2000, we had a huge space station about to be decommissioned. It was called the Mir. was a Russian the space Russia station, station yeah. yes and everyone was freaking out like oh my god like it's gonna fall in my country not <laughs> your country <laughs> and actually a, it's in the South Pacific okay. there's a place called Point Nemo and there are around 200 decommissioned space objects from mostly from the Soviet area under the sea do not think that's good for the environment either no. <laughs> and uh, knowing that This current International Space Station is going to be decommissioned at some point, too. And having in mind that NASA wants to start pushing for private space stations to compete with the Chinese space station, and then the Russians are also thinking of having their own space station, Mm -hmm. I wonder where those (laughs) space stations are going to be finishing their lives. So, yes, space debris is an issue, but I would also warn people that much bigger objects (laughs) might be around and, and we need to do something about them. But again, this is linked about demand that we've got for energy yeah. data. Mm. I think it's also a cultural thing, always asking for more
1: mm-hmm. absolutely, and possibly a reluctance among the anarchical political system for someone to take that burden on themselves mm. of cleaning everything up
2: that's so true let's just think about climate change to mm. make a comparison everyone is talking about climate change meeting in egypt at the same time because of the crisis the war in ukraine mm. fossil fuels are being burned non-stop you've got coal mines working 24 7 in germany instead of renewable energies people are starting to go to the museums and using paint because it's a, it's a way to say stop you know and i think they're absolutely right there's uh, just one planet and we're overusing it let's say
1: yeah
0: to say the least hmm. You bring up COP27, which recently happened in, in, in Egypt. So, speaking on the theme of multilateralism, mm. what kind of multilateral agreements and work is there to address these concerns with space and cooperation in space technology and, and the use of that?
2: Mm. Probably, maybe the most famous one at the moment, the Artemis Accords. It's something like 20 something countries, including New Zealand. It's a place to talk about the future of space exploration. But at the same time, when we have a look at the list of countries in there, we're going to see that big names like Russia, China or India in space are not in there because they criticize the approach of that. Basically, the United States creating it and mandating (laughs) what's going to be discussed (laughs) in there. So, yeah, I think many countries are finding themselves between the rock and the hard place it's good to have intentions of collaboration but you need to get things right on that sense mm-hmm. and i think there's a, still a long way to go when it comes to collaboration
1: absolutely one of those countries that you mentioned that didn't sign onto the accords are russia Caused a bit of a stir in the astropolitical community about a year ago when they tested an anti-satellite weapon on one of their old satellites, creating a massive cloud of debris. Would you mind just taking us through the implications of the militarization of space and the capability for these great powers to be able to target one another's space-based assets?
2: Yes, actually, that's a a very interesting question because we started to have concerns about these sort of developments after the United States completed all of its trials Mm. on on such (laughs) things. Meaning like when the United States are doing it, no one talks about it. When it's Russia or China, oh my God, they're so bad. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, unfortunately, that's realpolitik, as we uh, know. But um, let me also mention something else. Have you realized that Elon Musk keeps talking about Ukraine and Taiwan but not about Iran or Venezuela? Now that you say that, yes. Well, there's a reason behind that. <laughs> because basically China and Russia have capabilities to shoot down satellites. And that's part of Elon Musk's business model, right? Right. Um, so even though shooting down satellites, it's completely possible, but super expensive at the same time. You need to spend several millions of dollars to shoot down a satellite that maybe it's just worth a few thousands. <laughs> the main problem is that you can have a spaceship carrying several of those satellites. Right. Right? If you belong to a country or you work for a country that is in conflict with Russia or China, at some point, maybe those countries decide to shoot your spaceship down. Mm -hmm. And that could be the case of Ukraine. As we know, uh, SpaceX is providing an internet service for Ukraine. But what's the problem? Space exit's like a private company.
1: So is it an act of war for Russia to shoot down the asset of a private company? That's an excellent question, but yeah. I cannot answer at the <laughs> exactly, moment. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> so let's swing things back towards New Zealand and the potential of a space command. I have a couple of questions that might take quite a while to answer, but I'd be just interested to hear your thoughts on where you think the country is going in terms of developing a space command versus the direction you think it should go, and how those intersect.
2: Mm. Wow, that's a big one. Recently, there was a development, and that was that New Zealand attended a meeting of the Combined Space Operations Center, which is a uh, US-led multinational organization providing command and control of space commands. It's quite interesting because that meeting was attended by the Five Eyes, plus France and Germany. The interesting thing is that from those seven countries the only one that does not have a space command it's one and that's <laughs> new zealand so that means that a there's a prior tradition of collaboration with these countries yeah so there's that trust and there are a series of agreements on defense and that's why i think those agreements are being extended to space and To partly answer why New Zealand was there, there was also quite an interesting piece being published at the Defence Technology Agency of New Zealand. It looks like recently they finished building a small optical space awareness observatory to monitor satellites with the aim to detect or any deviation from the predicted orbit or unusual behavior. The very interesting thing is the DTA website itself notes that such a capability offers international cooperation opportunities, especially with Canada and the UK. So we've got a bit of a bingo in there. New Zealand does not have at the moment a space command. In fact, People from the space agency and defense have been saying that there's no intention to do that and that to go to these meetings is basically to try to find training opportunities. But what I ask myself, for how long that's going to be possible. As competition is becoming more intensive in space, at some point uh, New Zealand partners might be asking for more from New Zealand. And especially knowing that New Zealand has this privileged geographical location, yeah, maybe we're going to see similar developments coming to New Zealand in the future, meaning more infrastructure being built in New Zealand to keep an eye on that part of the sky. It's very, very fascinating.
0: And yeah, it sort of poses a problem as well to the maybe inherent values of New Zealand foreign policy as well, you know, hearkening back to the nuclear free movement mm-hmm. and, and the need to keep great powers out of our waters. Similarly, the, the need to maintain an independent Foreign policy and keep great powers out of our skies as well. But as you say, judgment day is coming and they need to sort of, <laughs> <laughs> sort of pick a side and make a stand.
2: Yes, that's uh, something that I think that we mentioned in the last podcast, right? New Zealand has the United States as one of the main political partners, but it has China as uh, the main economic partner. And I think that mom and dad are going to divorce. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's uh, one of the questions. At the same time, I'm not a negative person because I'm a realist and I know that New Zealand has the skills Mm -hmm. to navigate Mm -hmm. through these waters. It has done that in the past. Pressures over New Zealand about nuclear tests and nuclear energy have been big in the past. But, you know, it's like, I think New Zealand knows very well What are the consequences of certain actions? Mm, Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I'm quite positive, to be honest, that at the end, New Zealand is going to be taking the right decisions on those parts. And I think there's a strong cultural background behind that. New Zealand is becoming more and more a Pacific nation. And and I think that's a super positive thing. And I'm saying that as a European. So, Mm. yeah, Gaha, New Zealand.
1: So, one of the interesting things in the Deloitte authored New Zealand Space Policy Review consultation is the immediate observation that New Zealand's current space sector is almost entirely private and commercial. It's unusual in the world, but does that leave us room for innovation, filling gaps in the market, and carving out our own role in this new space era where? Countries like the United States may have more of a focus on the military and defense side of things. Do you think it's possible for us to maintain our independent foreign policy through carving out our own way through private-based innovation? Or is it only a matter of time before we start having to embrace more of the defense side of things as well?
2: Mm, That's an excellent question. This is going to be just my personal opinion Mm you've got a huge opportunity in here, New Zealanders. And that's going to be based in your ability to develop a space culture. Economy, politics, but also culture always come hand in hand. And we just have to have a look at China. We know that they've got anti-satellite space and they're planning to go to the moon. But also, if you go to China's Kentucky Fried Chicken, you're going to see that in their chicken buckets, they've got astronauts. And you, know, and, and you go to Netflix and you're going to see more and more Chinese shows related mm. to space and, and great novels being published.
1: Such as the Three-Body Problem Trilogy. Bingo. It's a fantastic read if you get the chance.
2: So again, if you can make a hoodie of the New Zealand Space Agency, <laughs> I know it sounds super silly. But it's a step forward. I was quite surprised when I started seeing how well New Zealand was doing in space and then I went to I'm not going to say the brand, but one of those <laughs> big brands of clothing, and and they had that NASA hoodie, and I was wondering myself, was this New Zealand Space Agency hoodie, you know? Because yeah. that's that's a way also to inspire yeah, mm-hmm. the new generation of New Zealanders, and not just have a look at the militarization, but yeah. the awe of exploration and discovery. And we are in the Pacific. We recently discovered that people from the Pacific reached Antarctica by the year 800. Wow. That's mind-blowing, isn't yeah. it? And when you think of the conditions those Pacific peoples were enduring during that mm. enormous trip, yep. and how difficult from a psychological, technological, and many other things that was, and they did it. That's a way to inspire a new generation of explorers here in Aotearoa. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, I remember growing up, my first years at primary school was around the time the space shuttle program was winding down. And I still remember that sense of wonder as a child watching them launch, watching them come into land. And now that you say that, that same feeling hasn't been there for 15, 20 years now because we haven't been pushing for the cultural side of space exploration in the same way that we were from perhaps 1969 until the early 2000s.
2: Yeah, definitely. And also when you think that in this case, New Zealand can play a very active role. Now I'm just having a, in mind that Rocket Lab is planning a private mission to Venus Wow! to discover if there's signs of life in there. Yeah. That's super exciting. And, you know, it's like we, we should be discussing about this and how to do it the right way. And, you know, the fascination of discovery. And that's completely up to people like you and I. Absolutely.
0: So we're just talking about the Deloitte report that highlighted the immense commercial focus in New Zealand and space. But a potential space command will sort of have to loop in NZDF in, in a certain way. What would that relationship look like?
2: That's an excellent question, because going back to that report, New Zealand space economy is more than a billion dollars. When we think of defense, we need to have a very broad perspective. In defense are bridges and water supplies and many other things. So defending those space assets is not just keeping an eye on those satellites, but also it's about cybersecurity, who's having access to that data being provided by New Zealand companies. So I do not have the information if these discussions are being done at the moment, but it's going to be in a much global way than rather thinking of, uh, um, should I be building lasers to protect and shoot down satellites, you know. Um, It's very normal, you know, like uh, space is a very new thing and most of our feed comes from science fiction and Dune and and video games. But it's a much more down-to-earth conversation, That same as when I used the example of Tinder, right? No no one was (laughs) expecting that one. But yeah, space is a very normal thing. So, you know, those conversations with the private industry and a potential space command... It might have in the future, and but also that's going to be about priorities in budget. That's <laughs> out of our reach <laughs> during this conversation. But you know, like, um, let's see how is the political landscape in a few years. Mm. If defense is going to be more part of the conversation, depending on the tensions around New Zealand, yeah, in the South Pacific. So you know that would boost the budget <laughs> in regards to the yeah. Space Command or even. The Air Force or cybersecurity. So, yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, you mentioned the war in Ukraine earlier. We've seen the key role that satellites are playing in modern conflict. So it makes sense for the
2: defense force to be looking more and more down that avenue. Definitely. And also going again to the case of Taiwan, because it's closer to us. Mm. One of the main things that guarantees Taiwan self-governance, I was going to use the word sovereignty, but maybe that's not the right one, (laughs) is being necessary. And the thing is that many of the space objects uh, going around us are using parts made in Taiwan. Right. And they know that, you know, that's why they're trying to be necessary in space. So again, <laughs> things might look like super unrelated, but space, it's with us. Yeah. <laughs> Sound a bit like Star Wars right now, but the yeah, attention.
1: Well, this is a conversation that I personally have really enjoyed. I came in with very little knowledge about space command or astropolitics in general apart from the research that I've done for this podcast so thank you for taking the time to appear marcel and to enlighten tages myself and our wonderful wonderful listeners marcel do you have any social media or places you can be found or just any plugs you want to make
2: well i'm in twitter uh, my name is astropolitics at Marcel and marty and also i write for mostly the new zealand institute of international affairs so yeah feel free to browse around their website it's awesome and uh, i'll see you there
1: excellent thank you very much again for appearing it's been a real privilege and eye-opening i can now go and tell people what a space command actually is which is absolutely wonderful thank you
0: so much and i think it's appropriate to sign this off with may the force be with
2: you (laughs) 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 thanks
1: a lot guys thank you marcel You have been listening to the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs podcast run by the Youth Panel. We can be found on social media, including on YouTube under the New Zealand Institute of International Affairs, where all of these podcasts can be found as well. We are also on Instagram at NZIIA underscore YP. So be sure to check us out where you get your news, your podcasts and your general social information.